0: I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details.
1: A new season of Bridgerton is here.
2: So I was reading about this anthropologist, Robert Lohman, and in the 1990s, Lohman went to Papua New Guinea to study the Asabano people. So it was his first night there, and one of the elders keeps apologizing to him because he couldn't sleep over with him. <laughs> like he wanted to share a bed with Lohman, but he had a few prior commitments. So Loman's a little confused, right? But then he keeps getting these offers from other men, and he quickly realizes this is not a sexual thing. It's their version of hospitality. Like to make sure you sleep well and feel welcome, the Asobano make it a priority to offer you some conversation and body warmth. And also, they tell Loman, having a local in the room will protect him from witchcraft. So, you know, all good things. But what's funny is that sharing a bed with strangers, especially while traveling, used to be common practice – I was reading this book, Wild Nights, and in it the author talks about how it shows up in Erasmus' writing, it's discussed in Moby Dick, but the funniest account to me was from the 17th century diarist Samuel Pepys. Why is that? Well, Peeps used to keep this log of all of his bedmates, scoring them on the quality of their conversation, <laughs> making a note if they did too much
3: tossing and turning. Can you imagine how nerve-wracking it would be to share a bed with them? I know. I mean, I feel like I'd spend the whole night worrying if I was hogging the sheets or, like, thinking about if my pillow talk was good enough. You know? <laughs> I want a good review. Me too. I t- it's very nerve-wracking. So, well, speaking of pillow
2: talk, what do you say we dive into this episode on sleep? Hey there, podcast listeners, I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Ticketer, and you're listening to Part-Time Genius. Now, we've got a fun show today. We're discussing a topic that you know frustrates me, Manko. Uh-huh. Sleep. I have never been a fan of sleeping. I'm definitely in the camp of people who would totally take a pill if I could avoid it altogether. <laughs> I've always been this way, even in first grade when Miss Pritchett made us declare our favorite animal, you know what animal I chose? The giraffe. Why? Not because it was tall, not because it could (laughs) slam dunk with ease, because they only have to sleep a couple hours of night. How sad is this? That that was like (laughs) the reason that I chose it. And I've always wondered if humans will ever be able to avoid sleep entirely. So... We're going to get to the bottom of this. Are you ready? I mean, mm-hmm. like, the very bottom. We're yeah. going to figure this out because I, I, I need to know if I'm going to have my never sleep again dream come true. But uh, but we've got so many other fun things coming up in the show as well. We'll take a look at what happens in our brains when we're sleeping, what happens in our brains when we're sleeping in a new place or when we're staring at a cell phone before we sleep. We've got our part-time genius quiz with a couple of Zumba instructors. Zumba instructors, <laughs> right. Okay. that's gonna. This is awesome. And someone I'm super excited to talk to, we've got one of our favorite inventors, the self-proclaimed queen of crappy robots, Simone Yetch, who happened to invent a really funny alarm clock. I so love we'll talk her, about yeah. that. She is amazing. So, but before we get to all of that,
3: how weird is sleep, Mango? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, the way we talk about sleep is really funny. Like people used to wear it as this badge of honor, how little they slept. I read this thing about Keith Richards where he talked about being up for five full days. Whoa. Just working and composing and all this while his lazy bandmates were uh, taking naps. Right. But um, it's always this dig from productive people. But of course, you know, Keith Richards being Keith Richards has disaster stories about this too, right? So there's this one time he stayed up for nine days straight. Good God. Which sounds horrible. But the way he describes it, he was riding this adrenaline high and feeling totally awake and then all of a sudden, as he was reaching to put a cassette tape on a shelf, he fell asleep so hard he collapsed and broke his
2: nose. <laughs> I'm not sure sleep studies should really be conducted on Keith Richards. I'm thinking that's <laughs> probably not as accurate. So, Well, there are definitely these hyperproductive people like Margaret Thatcher who only need three or four hours of sleep at night. She needed so little sleep, and she was so committed to being the best informed person in any room, she'd stay up and read into the late hours, but then she'd be up again at 5 in the morning to listen to the British Farm Report. And, of course, (laughs) all her staff was constantly exhausted trying
3: to keep pace. I know. Sleep doctors actually claim she's got this rare genetic mutation that allows her to function on less sleep, and it affects about one percent of the population. But it's funny. I I read this beleaguered quote from her husband, Dennis, in the BBC. Dennis, I know, you just made that up. I didn't even know there was a Dennis Thatcher until I read this piece. But his greatest contribution to the Republic seems to be trying to get her to sleep. Like every once in a while, he was observed desperately reminding her, "Woman." Bed. Was he, was he a caveman or something? He talked okay. that way. Of course, my you know my other favorite Margaret Thatcher fact, and that's in the late seventies when she went to this economic summit in Japan. The country tried to supply her with twenty karate ladies, karate as guards. <laughs> I know. I, I just love the phrase karate ladies. Like there should be more of that in history books. I agree. I agree. So there was definitely a time, especially in the nineteen eighties, where
2: Wall Street execs and rock stars and media moguls used to brag about how little sleep they got. Mm -hmm. Like, not sleeping was thought to be glamorous, and even as far back as Napoleon, who outlined the perfect amount of sleep. He would say six hours for a man, seven hours for a woman, eight hours for a fool. Which just (laughs)
3: sounds so French. It does.
2: does. (laughs) But now it feels like the complete opposite. You look at these world-class athletes like Usain Bolt, LeBron James, and they really brag about the 12 hours of uninterrupted sleep they get. And they work to protect it.
3: Yeah, there are tons of them. Like Marion Bartoli, who won Wimbledon, she famously took this long nap before winning. And uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, the soccer star, Right. you know, he sleeps in this totally dark chamber and he has electric blinds that flip open at 10 a.m. or whenever he wants to get up. Like, that's his alarm clock. And it's because he doesn't want any artificial light in his room bothering him. I gotta remember to turn the lights
2: off in my chamber. Maybe that's been my my problem. So there's this clear premium on sleep, but don't you think it's weird that we spend a third of our lives pretty much paralyzed and unconscious?
3: Honestly, I'm getting irritated (laughs) again just just thinking about it. Think of all the things you could be doing. I know we should all be thatchering every night. (laughs) But one of the things that's fascinating to me is that there's this insistence that everyone has to sleep the same way, right? And I was reading this book, Dreamland, by David Randall, and in one section, he talks about this history professor from Virginia Tech who kept finding references in medieval literature to first sleep and second sleep. He found it in Canterbury Tales. He found it in old texts. It was just repeated in lots of places. And what he eventually sussed out was that historically, people would get two periods of rest every night. They'd go to bed, then they'd wake up for an hour and talk and think and engage in some canoodling. And After an hour, they'd go back to bed and sleep till morning. And this was a really common thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of Ben Franklin and his so-called air baths, you know, where Franklin would wake up at four or five in the morning, work for an hour. He claimed part of the reason he was so productive is that he'd do it completely and totally in the buff, like (laughs) in front of an open window. Hence the term air bath. Uh, But he'd have this euphoric period of productivity. Then he'd have the best sleep of his life after that.
3: Yeah, and obviously nude Ben Franklin had genius ideas to give us, right? But there's this great myth all over the internet that I so wish was true. What's that? And it's that Ben Franklin invented the first mechanical bull. Oh, that's got to be true, right? <laughs> I mean, that's his. Have you heard this? Like, The story goes that Ben Franklin made a prototype bull and let John Adams ride it. <laughs> and it was so unrideable that Adams ended up with a third degree burn on his bottom. I'm going to say, this has got to be it's true. It's so specific. But the part that makes it like feelable believable is that the primary reason Ben invented the thing was to get people's bowels moving, right? which is, you know, a total lie. But I love that some fifth graders probably included it in his school report. Oh,
2: that's brilliant. That's brilliant. But let's get back to this first sleep, second sleep thing, which is fascinating. I mean, to me, the most interesting part is that it's been recreated in science experiments. Like when people are isolated from their screens, humans actually return to this natural human sleep pattern. And it brings up all sorts of questions about our circadian clocks, But let's take a step back and talk about that. I mean, we all know our bodies have a natural clock or what we call a circadian rhythm. Mm -hmm. And as part of that 24-hour cycle, we know we get tired at night, then we wake up in the morning – but why have we evolved to do any of this? I mean, it seems like just the act of going to sleep must have been so dangerous for our ancestors not wanting to be eaten by predators. <laughs> In fact, there's this this well-known sleep researcher at the University of Chicago named Alan Rechtoffin who said, if sleep doesn't serve an absolutely vital function, it's the greatest mistake evolution has ever made. So there's... Huh got
3: to be a really good reason, right? I mean, there is, right? There's strong evidence that sleep is important for our nervous system and our immune system. But the latest research on what's happening in our brains when we sleep is some of the most compelling. There's a tendency to think of sleeping this time when our brains are inactive. It's actually the opposite. Without getting too deep into it, we should probably run through the five stages of sleep. Okay. So the first and second stages are really light and in fact the first stage is so light that you might not know that you're sleeping but by the second stage your brain starts pinging out some sleep specific waves these are just flashes that last a few seconds at a time then the third and fourth stages move into this deep sleep and your brain starts sending out these long rhythmic bursts called delta waves This is where you start floating away from consciousness. And in the fourth stage, particularly, that's where you can get disoriented. So I don't know if this has happened to you, but if you've ever had sleep drunkenness, like if you've ever woken up at the wrong cycle and felt totally groggy, That's because you were interrupted in the fourth stage. Uh, You're you're saying this all in
2: such a soothing voice. I think (laughs) I need to share a fact about waking people up in that fourth stage. So there are actually all these ridiculous alarm clocks meant to wake up really heavy sleepers. Uh Like we've got Simone Yech later today who made one of the funniest alarm clocks I've seen. (laughs) But there's this other great fire alarm clock from Japan, and it works by spraying wasabi into your room. Wasabi. (laughs) Which I guess makes sense since horseradish up your nose is definitely going to get you out of bed but i kind of think about it like this like what's worse than your house being on fire it's learning your house is on fire by having wasabi sprayed <laughs> up your nose
3: yeah it sounds terrible but let's get back to the stages cuz there's okay. only one more okay sorry right? about the for,
2: for the uh, for the interruption
3: there. <laughs> so we've gone over the first four where your brain waves have gradually slowed down your body temperature has dropped and you've gradually become immobile you're in this deep sleep so those four stages of occupy about 80% of your sleep time. But then we move into the fifth stage, which is REM or rapid eye movement. And this is where our brains get really going again and your eyes tend to dart around under your eyelids and that's the stage where we really dream. Like in a good night's sleep, you'd move through these stages multiple times. Right. And that immobility part is important.
2: I saw this weird cat study. Cat Wait, is that new? <laughs> well, I read a cat study. Cat uh-huh. where a researcher named Michael Jouvet in France made tiny cuts in a cat's brain and turned off the part that triggers immobility in sleep. So when these cats hit the REM stage, instead of just playing the dreams out in their head, they started acting them out in real life. The cats started hissing and clawing and arching their backs <laughs> and jumping onto people in counters. You know how I feel about cats, so this is terrifying to me. Uh-huh. All in a dream state, and when they were woken up, they were, you know, very cat about it, like, eh.
3: No big deal. (laughs) Yeah, we both share that fear of cats because I think it's because they seem so unpredictable. But the fact that in their sleep, they're actually dreaming about clawing and attacking you, that's crazy. Yeah,
2: it is crazy. And, and you know, sleep studies on other animals are just as fascinating. So for years, we've known that dolphins and whales and birds and other animals sleep with only half their brain at a time. So the other half can stand guard and look out for predators. And in mallard ducks, for example, when they're all in a line, The two outermost birds will often be the only ones to keep half their brains awake to look out for danger. Like they just know to stand guard for all the other ducks in the line. It's (laughs) it's crazy and fascinating. But the weirdest thing is that previously we didn't think humans did this. But it turns out we do. There's this thing called first night effect, which happens when we stay – In a new place, our brains revert to their animal instincts, and they go into survival mode to make sure nothing fishy is going on. So instead of sleeping restfully, your brain takes turns allowing one half of your brain to sleep while the other half of your brain stays more aware of its surroundings. It's why you don't get a great night's sleep in your first night or a hotel or somewhere else new. So, And strangely, the effect is almost completely gone by night two. That's so crazy. But before we get back to whether or not humans will ever be able to go without sleep, why don't we take a quick break for a quiz?
3: Okay, Mango. So who do we have on the line to play with us today? Today we've got two part-time Zumba instructors on the line, Stacy and Githanjali. Zumba. This is exciting. I know, super exciting. When we put out a call
2: for Zumba instructors, we didn't know what to expect, but we've got two really good ones on the line. So, our first one works in corporate communications by day and is a Zumba instructor at night. Githanjali, welcome to Part-Time Genius.
1: Thank
2: you. And our other one is a voiceover actor by day and a Zumba instructor at night. So, Stacy, welcome to Part-Time Genius. Hi. you know what? I have to ask you guys just to to get a, a better understanding of what Zumba is. I have to confess, I've never been to a Zumba class. Mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm planning to go. You guys were nice enough to tell us we should come by one of yours at some point. But uh, Githanjali, let's start with you. Explain to us the difference between Zumba and just say regular aerobics.
3: With regular
1: aerobics, you kind of break down everything, but with Zumba, you just go, 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 and um, it's similar. That it's in the sense that it's a dance cardio format, um, but it has all sorts of world dance. The emphasis is that you do a little bit of Latin American, a little African, a little Indian Bollywood, and so you get a little taste of the world. Oh, wow. While, um, while you dance and have fun.
2: Uh, and, and, uh, and, Stacey, you mentioned you have a background in ballroom dance and Chinese opera. Is that required to go to a Zumba class?
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you don't need to have any sort of dance background at all. Um, I think it just influences my own classes because, you know, I just noticed I'll. I'll throw in some elements, sometimes even I'm not even conscious of the fact that I, that they're in there, you know, but sometimes the way I hold my arms or maybe the way I use my hands are inspired by ballroom or by Chinese opera, um, but, you know, what I love about Zumba that is I, the honest truth is I actually hate exercising.
3: Oh.
1: <laughs> when I'm in a Zumba class, I just feel like I'm at a party. Wow. So, and hopefully that's what my classes are like, too. I just feel like we're at a party, we're dancing, we're having fun. And I don't even care that there's sweat all over the floor and that... You know, my hair is wet all the way down to the end, yeah. you know, <laughs> but I, I, we're just having so much fun.
2: That's awesome. That's kind of the way we feel about podcasting. We're always so sweaty and just like, but it's uh, it's worth it. <laughs> <Just> dripping. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we are playing a game today. What's it called? Nonsensical Sleep Rhymes. Nonsensical Sleep Rhymes. So this is a pretty dumb game. Actually, it's a really (laughs) dumb game. We invented this based on the phrase, you snooze, you lose. So every answer starts, you snooze, you blank. And the blank is some rhyming word. It rhymes with lose and snooze. So if we were to give you the clue, what happens if you drink martinis in your sleep? You'd say, you snooze. You booze, right? So every answer is going to be exactly
3: that moronic. And uh, <laughs> what are we playing for here, though, today, Mango? You're playing for the big prize. Whoever wins will get a handwritten note from us to your mom or your boss. It's your choice. That's right. Singing your praises. Uh, but actually, we're going to put them on the same team today.
2: You know what? So they both get this yeah. opportunity. We're going to put you on the same team, and let's see how this goes. You guys ready to play You Snooze, You Lose?
3: Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: All right. So, Githonjali, we're going to start with you. If you have any problems, though, we're going to throw it to Stacy, and then we're going to go back and forth. And our goal is for you guys to get all nine of these correct. Let's go quickly. You ready? Here we go. What happens when you communicate with cows when you're sleeping?
3: Snooze, you moo. Yes. <laughs> well
2: done. All right, Stacy. What happens when you board a carnival ship when you're sleeping?
3: you snooze you cruise well yes. done
2: githangeli what happens when you put pantene in your hair when you're sleeping
3: you snooze you shampoo <laughs> I,
2: love, I love how you can hear it in her voice that she's like is the quiz really this dumb but it is you snooze you shampoo. that's right all right stacy what happens when you have anemia and you bump into things in your sleep
4: you snooze, you bruise. Man, Excellent. you guys are
2: so good at this. Four out of four so far. All right, Gathangeli, what happens when you start attaching things with a bottle of Elmer's in your sleep?
4: You snooze, you glue. Now said <laughs> with confidence. She's bought in.
2: I know. All right. All right, Stacey, what happens when you sneeze in your sleep? I like this you one. It's so You snooze, dumb. you... Oh,
4: no, I'm blanking. You sneeze. You snooze,
2: you... What sound do you make when you sneeze? Oh, no, I'm
1: blanking.
3: Uh Aha! It's well. It's not a z. It's a you snooze, you achoo. Yes. Oh my god! You achoo. No, I have no idea what is it.
2: That's it. You got it. You got it right. All right. We're coming back to you, Gauthanjali. Here goes. What happens when you play a buzzing kids' instrument in your sleep?
1: You snooze, you ah caboose. What is that? It's a Um, really simple
2: instrument. You put to your mouth and sounds. Do. Yeah. You got it. You snooze, you kazoos. <laughs> all right. This is the dumbest <laughs> quiz. Every time we do a quiz, I'm like, they can't get any dumber, and this may be the dumbest. But we set
3: the bar lower. We do.
2: We do. All right. Stacy, number eight. What happens when you construct an Inuit shelter in your sleep? You
1: snooze, you igloo. Well
2: oh, done. All right. Nice. To bring it all home, let's see. You guys can, uh, well, we'll let Gathangeli answer this one. What happens when you dine with pandas in your sleep? Oh,
4: my goodness.
3: Think about what they might munch on. Oh, you snooze, you bamboo. Yes. Nine out of (laughs) nine. That was a tricky one. It Uh. was really dumb. That's right. Our, uh,
2: <laughs> our hands are going to be pretty tired from writing these notes. This is great. We'll
3: yeah, well, we're not only sending them home with notes, we're also going to be mailing them a CANDWICH, which is the number one peanut butter and jelly in a can on the market. So wow. If for you nine love out of nine. sandwiches and things that are stored in pop-top containers, you loved CANDWICH.
2: <laughs> are they one of the sponsors or something? No, no, no. No, we it's just, just love CANDWICH. Want, want to promote them. That's awesome. Well, we will have to check out a Zumba class. You guys have us sold on this. Kathangeli and Stacy. thank you so much for joining us on Part-Time Genius.
0: This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
1: A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.
4: Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends.
2: I hate sleeping. I don't know why we have to do it. It feels extravagant and lazy and a perfect waste of time. So convince me, Mango, why do we need sleep?
3: <laughs> well, it sounds like a tall order. But the first thing is that our brains are using it for some major memory consolidation. Like, just think about all the things that happen during a single day. Every time your brain learns something, which is pretty much every waking second, the connections between your neurons are strengthened and new connections are created. But if you stop and think about how many short-term memories your brain is creating in, I don't know, like a 12- or 14-hour period, it's staggering. Yeah. So our brain needs a way to sift through all that information and file away the important learnings. And there are all these experiments that confirm this. Like there was this uh, Harvard study where kids were trained to catch a ball in a cone. Like over the course of a half hour, the kids got better at it. And their technique improved from, let's say, 50% to about 70%. But then the group was split into two sets. And one of the groups got great sleep. And their ability to catch the ball jumped up to 85%. But the other group, which I guess was just pestered through the night or allowed to stay up and watch movies or something, they got poor sleep. And their rate dropped to below 50%, which is worse than where they started oh, from. wow. And that's because their brains didn't have time to reprocess that information. And actually, there's a rat study. Rat study. There are a lot of cat and rat studies, so get used to it, listeners. But in trying to understand sleep, listeners looked at how clusters of neurons worked in rat brains. And the same neurons that lit up when a rat was awake and learning a new task, those lit up again at night. It's like they were replaying these learnings over and over.
2: Which is is fascinating. But the thing is, those clusters were lighting up super fast in their dreams. So Mm -hmm. let's say it took the rats a couple of seconds to walk over and pick up a piece of food. In their sleep, that same brain activity would only take a fraction of a second. It's like because your brain isn't juggling between all the distractions of when you're awake, it's able to process these things that much faster. And in
3: replaying these events, it turns your important memories into long-term ones. (laughs) You say important memories, like getting food is a really memorable one for a rat. It is. What are the unimportant
2: ones? Well, that's a good question. But there are so many little things we don't really need to commit to long-term memory. Like you were saying, the millions of things that happen in any given day, right? And we know that it would be too taxing for our brain to hold on to everything. So our brains are really good at cleaning themselves out at night and purging the insignificant ones. There's a team of researchers from the University of Wisconsin-Madison that recently found that our brain's Actually shrink during sleep. Isn't this unbelievable? That the number and size of our brain synapses shrink by as much as 20% in the mice that they looked at. (laughs) No, no, no. These were not rats, they were mice. But this is how our brains deal with all the information we've learned in a day, which allows us to wake up and start fresh the next day.
3: You know, this makes me think of those people with insane super memories, you know, the people who remember every single detail in their lives. And I wonder if that's actually related to a sleep disorder. Yeah, it it would be complete
2: torture to have this happen. I know there are people like this. Fortunately, I can barely remember each time I get a snack from the snack basket, which, I don't know, maybe this is unfortunate because maybe it explains (laughs) the seven granola bar wrappers sitting right beside me. (laughs) So we've heard for years now that it's a bad idea to spend time reading our phones and ebook devices just before bed. I'll admit, I'm terrible about this. Not just before bed, but in the middle of the night. If I wake up, whenever it is, I'll roll over, grab my phone, check email, read a little news. Because apparently I need to know what's going on in Asia while we sleep. I don't know. But this is really not good for
3: my sleep, is it? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty bad about this, too. And it all comes back to our circadian clocks. Like, as humans, we're obviously wired to get sleepy after the sun goes down and wake up when the sun comes up. But if we're exposed to too much blue light in the evening, that can delay the release of our melatonin and throw off our clocks. And speaking of circadian rhythms, I have to tell you this thing I read about Monday Night Football. Uh Apparently, when East Coast teams play on the West Coast they have a massive disadvantage because the West Coast teams are just more awake. And when researchers from Stanford and Harvard analyzed the numbers from 40 years of these games, they found that the West Coast teams overperformed by like two touchdowns. Oh, wow. And often beat the spread from Vegas by seven points. That's
2: crazy. I know.
3: If you ever get access to a time machine, you should go back and bet (laughs) on, on West Coast teams. All right. So where were we? Cell phones, that's right. So so
2: several studies have shown that reading on a light-emitting device causes people to take longer to fall asleep versus just reading on a good old-fashioned paperback, right? Mm -hmm. And it tends to cause you to spend less time in REM sleep. But the weirdest part to me was that even after a good night's rest, like, say, eight or nine hours of uninterrupted sleep, those who read on devices woke up sleepier. I did finally change my phone to the night shift setting, I kind of just because I like saying my phone is on the night shift <laughs> after 10 p.m. It productive. It really does. <laughs> so it adjusts to the warmer end of the spectrum and stays that way through the night. Uh-huh. So I'm still game in case there's a good news story from Asia at 3 a.m. So, But let's talk about something else that supposedly affects people's sleep, and that's food. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're scientists because in our own studies we found that – Sometimes people don't sleep well after they eat, I don't know, say the all-star breakfast from Waffle House at midnight.
3: <laughs> and that effect seems to be more profound on 38-year-old bodies than it was on 20-year-old bodies. Definitely,
2: definitely. But our studies show that it was totally worth the 3 a.m. discomfort, <laughs> even if our participants, being us, may not have agreed at 3 a.m.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's just good science. You but bet it is. But let's talk about dreams specifically and this long-held belief that certain foods make us dream crazier dreams. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what's funny is that I never realized people blame food for bad dreams, until I started reading Garfield books in second grade, Garfield—it <laughs> was a real education. Garfield made me realize that a people hate Mondays. They definitely and hate Mondays. B, if you eat too much lasagna or spicy foods late at night, it can give you crazy dreams about I don't know lasagna. <laughs> You might have been better off studying your science from somebody other than Garfield, but,
2: uh <laughs> you know, anyway. But I'm certain there will be listeners who disagree with this, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence that certain foods cause bizarre or disturbing dreams. At least there aren't a lot of studies that show this conclusively.
3: Yeah, you know, I, I'm the worst at this. Like, I don't really remember most of my dreams, and I don't really remember having nightmares as a kid. Isn't that weird?
2: Well, maybe your dreams aren't scary because 90% of your diet is cereal. So although cereal does contain the number one thing people blame for crazy dreams and that's dairy. Actually, I always thought of it as being spicy foods, but spicy foods come in second for most people claiming they have crazy dreams because of food. So maybe your crunchy sriracha flakes, that's the deal.
3: <laughs> Gotta start the day right. I can't even think about two wet scoops of sriracha. Oh. In a box. <laughs> but don't you wonder why we dream and, and what's the evolutionary purpose?
2: Well, we, of course, have to mention Freud. He thought we dream as a way of thinking through our subconscious desires.
3: Yeah, and while that might happen sometimes, most of the time we're dreaming about real-life experiences. And so these are the dreams you're not necessarily going to remember because they're not all that exciting. But as we discussed, they're important because they help you sort through your experiences and figure out what's important to take away from them. And that's all going in the non-REM phase. But
2: those REM dreams, the crazy ones that you're likely to remember, why in the world would we need to remember
3: these? Well, even those can be useful from an evolutionary perspective because even though they're really strange, they do help us think through all the possibilities of dangerous scenarios from this really safe state. But they seem real, right? And that's because the brain activity in REM sleep is really similar to that of an awake brain.
2: Okay, but you remember the dream I was telling you about where Michael (laughs) Stipe and the Harlem Globetrotters and I were deep-sea fishing, and Michael got
3: mad and threw a fish at me, hit me right in the chest. So... That was somehow useful. Super useful. I mean, I <laughs> I don't have answers for you, Will, but uh, I can tell you we're at the part of the episode that we want to give out a part-time genius. Oh right, yeah. yeah. This episode, I thought it'd be good to give it to someone who literally dreamed something genius in good their idea. sleep. Good idea. Good idea. And so initially, I was thinking maybe Paul McCartney, who came up with the tune for the song "Yesterday" in a dream, wow. but I thought it might be even better if we gave it to Dmitri Mendeleev, who came up with the idea for the periodic table while snoozing. Wow. You know, it's been a while since Mendeleev won an award, so I think
2: <laughs> that we should uh, we should do it. I second that nomination. Congratulations Dmitri Mendeleev, you have won this episode's part-time genius award. So I know we normally like to write a letter to our award winner's mother or boss or someone else close to them, but considering Mendeleev, his mother, all his bosses and pretty much anyone else he would have known would be dead now. <laughs> why don't you just say in his honor we'll write a note to the American Chemical Society saying keep up the good work. Brilliant. Our guest today is someone we've been crazy excited to have on the show. Her YouTube videos are smart, incredibly funny, and so full of failure. <laughs> she describes herself as the breaker of transistors, the mistress of malfunction, the mother of terrible inventions, and as being really good at building really bad things. So, Simone Yetch, welcome to Part-Time Genius.
5: <laughs> Thank you.
2: <laughs> we are. That was
5: a really nice intro.
2: Yeah, I've been working on it for weeks. I
5: feel, weeks. I'm, I'm like, it's good that it's only, we're doing, doing only audio because I think I might be blushing a little <laughs> bit. I'm just like all flustered.
2: <laughs> I'm glad you survived. So, Simone, I have to confess, the first video I ever saw of yours was the, Wake up machine and I could not stop laughing at this. There was, there was something about seeing someone awaken so rudely by a rubber hand spinning around and slapping them on the face that was just so funny to me. So for our listeners who have not yet been so lucky as to see any of your inventions, can you give just a quick overview of what it is that you do?
5: I, I, it's, it's hard to pitch or it's like, I feel like whenever I'm in a lift or in a taxi and they ask what I do, I'm like, How do I explain this? But (laughs) basically, I build useless machines. Like it's some sort of robot comedy or like engineering (laughs) comedy, I'd say. But I make different weird machines that hurt me usually in different kinds of ways <laughs> or like pour milk and cereal everywhere. And I post them on YouTube.
2: Right. Right. And it was, it was your toothbrush helmet that helped you kind of get the the start in this useless robot direction. Is that right?
5: Yeah. So I did a, a skateboard helmet that has a little robot arm on the front of it, like a unicorn and a little toothbrush attached to it and it brushes your teeth. Yeah. That was the first one that I posted online and it went like kind of viral um it went totally viral then. I was I, like that's how I learned went, about you <laughs> yeah it was but it's funny because like now it's 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 your your bar's high, like higher and higher every time so right. looking uh-huh. back at it I was like oh yeah it's an okay project but back then I was like it was I felt like I was sitting in front of the computer and there was like wind blowing out of the screen because I was just like oh my god the internet is <laughs> all over it um <laughs> But yeah, that was the first, like, crappy robot. Can I say robot? You can know. say You're that. gonna beep it, maybe. Go
2: for it. We're just, we're gonna beat most robot. It yeah. was the first robot that I built. I've <laughs>
5: um, said it.
2: Yeah, let's, let's beep robot, then people won't know what it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. so we've seen what, a cereal feeding robot, a lipstick applier, a shampoo machine, a little hand robot that wipes dandruff away, what, a butt wiping robot. I mean, there's just so many, Horrible and (laughs) lovely invention. So many hands, yeah. So these robots that you build, once they're in a video, do you end up keeping these all somewhere or do you end up dismantling them?
0: I
5: try to not dismantle them. I used to do that all the time because it's so tempting to just like borrow parts. But mm-hmm. I travel a lot with them and I bring them on to different shows and events and stuff like that. So I try and keep them. Most of them are in pretty rough shape, though, because they've been like thrown in and out of a suitcase and they're just like barely working.
3: <laughs> you get questions about them at airports? Like, why are all these hands and yeah. uh, robot parts in your suitcase?
5: <laughs> Every time. I always wonder that. I mean, it's the same if I'm staying in a hotel room and like the, the bag because I I have like this big like pelican robot suitcase and um i always wonder what like the 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 housekeeper like what they think about it because it must look like a very bizarre thing um but no they always check it on airports and that's how i recruit new subscribers
2: speaking of other weird projects that you've taken on you recently locked yourself in a bathroom for 48 straight hours now remind us again why you did this
5: I I made my own space program because nobody else would have me so I really (laughs) want to go to space but like I'm I'm not qualified enough to go with NASA or I don't think I'm cool enough to be with SpaceX so I was like this I'll do my own space program and I'll see (laughs) if somebody wants to pick me up so I did like a three episode web series where I did my own astronaut training program and as a part of that I needed to practice like Isolation and being in a confined space. So I locked myself in my bathroom for 48 hours.
2: I love that. No, I, I have to confess that the real reason for this interview is in that video that you're talking about, you held up a copy of one of my favorite kids books in recent years, Dragons Love Tacos. <laughs> were, were you being serious oh, about your love oh of this book? Oh my God.
5: It is so funny.
2: So should we play this quiz? Yes, let's play a quiz. All right. So. Oh my
5: god. Yeah.
2: Get ready. We're going to throw you off here. So. In what
5: is it? What is it? What are we doing?
2: We're we're going to tell you. You'll see. So, um, first of all, it's required that you're on a houseboat. Are you on a houseboat right now?
5: Yes. I okay. Am on a houseboat
2: right now. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So in Sweden. Do, do I need
5: to get in the water?
2: Yes, you do. You need to get in the water for <laughs> oh, this quiz. No, no, no. no. You're good. You, you can stay. It's you can Sweden. stay. Okay. It's Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so in Sweden do you count sheep to go to sleep or is that just an American thing?
5: I think we count sheep.
2: Okay. All right. But so this-
5: I don't think I ever did it. Yeah, no, that is that's familiar.
2: All right. So good good deal. <laughs> this is a section where we would normally call it true or false sleep edition, but today we're calling it sheep or bull sheep. So, we're going to read you a uh-huh. sentence.
0: Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
2: We're going to read you a sentence, and if you think it's nonsense,
3: all you have to do is say bull sheep. and Mango, what is she playing for today? As always, the celebrity guest is playing for our unadulterated admiration.
5: I actually, you had my hopes up that I, I was going to get something. I feel uh the hopes... Came up and then they crashed down very quickly. Aww. But okay, admiration, I'll take it.
2: We'll maybe add to that, you know, uh, setting up a play date with the uh, authors of Dragons Love Tacos. So.
5: <laughs> oh my God. Can you hear? Yes, okay, I'm
4: game. She's she in. Bring <laughs> it on. All Bring right. it
2: on. Here we go. Sheep or bull sheep. Here we go. Question number one The first Australian ultra marathon runner was a 61 year old shepherd. He won the 500 mile race handily by running through the night and tricking himself into believing he was running after his sheep. Sheep or bull sheep?
3: Sheep. It's true. You're right. Really? Oh, my God. Cliff Young?
5: Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm thinking that it's... But uh, I haven't heard the other ones, but I'm thinking that that one's too weird to be able to come up with.
3: (laughs) What was his name? Yeah, his name was Cliff Young, and he was mocked for running in boots and shuffling along, but... He, uh, kept, kept running while everyone else slept, so. Alright, well done, oh Clifford.
5: My hero. Can I be friends with him? Yeah, is let's, let's him? see if we
2: can arrange. We're gonna go ahead and say yes, I have no idea. Yes. Say,
5: uh, <laughs> this one is really sad, you're like, yes, yeah, we'll get yeah, your friends, Anything, you need to compete in this thing. <laughs>
2: we're just gonna find <laughs> like, some okay. dude and be like, this is him, I'll, he's I'll your friend. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Alright, let's see. Question number two, sheep or bull sheep? There's a sheep from Scotland that lives on the beach and has a diet made up almost entirely
5: of seaweed. I did I was in Scotland recently just a couple of weeks ago and I saw a lot of sheep. <laughs> but they were they were mainly goats on the coast. I'm going to call
3: Bull sheep. Oh, it was actually a sheep. The North, really? Yeah, yeah. There, there's a sheep that lives in Orkney, and they're the, one of the only mammals that can survive exclusively on this seafood buffet. Wow. But I thought you,
5: were, I thought you meant one sheep. <laughs> that it was a single, like, poor Bernard,
3: <laughs> the, sheep, the seaweed
5: sheep. That was what I thought. Okay, oh, like a celebrity sheep. Oh, Bernard, like The Harambe of, of, of <laughs> Well,
3: we're sheep. getting to a celebrity sheep, so yes, question three. Are.
5: Oh, really? Uh, Dolly? Is a Dolly? Mm-hmm. You got it.
2: All right. So here we go. Dolly the sheep was named for Dolly Madison because the scientist got the idea for cloning the sheep while bored on an historic tour of James Madison's home at Montpelier. Sheep or bull sheep?
3: Bull sheep. Yeah, you're right. Dolly was named yeah. for
2: Dolly Pardon, number 4. Sheep have amazing memories and can remember up to 50 other sheep for several years.
5: I mean, they're known for being stupid, but at mm. the same time they're like herd animals or I mean, they have like their sheep pack or whatever it's called school of sheep what's like the count <laughs>
4: <laughs>
5: pack of sheep
3: I think a buddy system
5: um, a murder of sheep but I'm gonna call sheep because I yes. want them to be smart
3: oh you're right so uh, they, oh really yeah, yeah. They, they can get thrown off by haircuts occasionally but <laughs> they can recognize other sheep
1: I yeah. can relate to that yeah.
3: <laughs> so you went three for four great job Simone
2: introduction's yeah. coming uh, thank you guys. <laughs> So if you've not seen Simone's videos, definitely check them out because her name has a crazy Swedish pronunciation. Uh, Her last name is actually spelled G-I-E-R-T-Z, but we've included the link in the show description. So Simone, thanks so much for joining us today. And thanks for putting smiles on so many faces with all of your
1: nonsense. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast.
2: I have to say that after all our research and discussion, I'm not exactly feeling optimistic that I'll be getting my live a sleep free life pill anytime, well, in my lifetime.
3: <laughs> I mean, you could balzac it and have 60 cups of coffee a day. Or uh, if you don't love that caffeine crash, there. are Pills that can keep you up for maybe 30 hours at a time without much of a drop-off. It's funny because armies throughout history have invested in this sort of stuff. Like the Incas used coca leaves and the Greeks played with opium. And the Nazis used methamphetamines to make their soldiers march for 40 miles at a clip. But there are always these massive negative side effects, right? And even today, we're searching for that cure. Like... There's this drug modafinil, and some army officers and even some presidents have been rumored to take it to work longer. And while it's used in the field, supposedly it can make you overconfident, and even though you're fully awake, you might be more prone to making bad decisions. So there's still research to be done. But for the most part, you're right. Sleep is still this completely opaque thing. And it's strange that while we know that not sleeping will eventually kill you, we still don't understand why. Well, and even beyond all
2: the uncertain parts, just recognizing the things we are beginning to understand, that sleep appears critical to memory consolidation, all the stuff that we were talking about before of how we run through these memories, you know, so quickly in our brains is just fascinating to me. And the cleaning out of our brains, it it just doesn't seem possible that anything in the coming decades will be able to replicate these processes without sleep. Mm -hmm. I mean, as the researchers from the University of Wisconsin study we mentioned earlier said, Sleep is the price people pay for brains that are able to keep learning new things. I mean, the brain is just such a crazy complicated organ. So while I'm disappointed that I won't be able to stop <laughs> sleeping anytime soon, I will admit I feel better knowing just how much is going on when we're asleep. It doesn't feel quite as much like a waste of time.
3: I am so glad this part-time genius therapy session was productive.
2: <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But we're not done yet. You know what time it is.
3: The fact off. Mm-hmm.
2: You bet. It's that time of the show where we get to throw out some of the crazy, fascinating things we learned about sleep that we didn't get to mention yet. All right, Mango, you first.
3: So I know we talked about Keith Richards at the top of the show and his self-reported nine days of staying awake, but the record for the longest period without sleep is 11 days. 11 days? I know, and it's set by a student in California named Randy Gardner way back in 1964. And what's cool about it is that the local paper mentioned he was going to try to set this record— and when scientists at Stanford got wind of it, they documented it. So there's all this documentation of Randy getting worse and worse at math problems as he stayed up and getting increasingly paranoid and getting annoyed by the people who would promised to help him stay up this long. I mean, 11 days is a long time. It's an insanely long time. I know. And uh, somehow Randy pulled it off. Um, He was doing it for a science fair project, which I don't even know if he won, but that part's never mentioned. I love that this kid comes up with the idea, and rather than people around him being like, it's a horrible
2: idea to stay up for 11 (laughs) days, like Stanford people and the paper and everybody like, do it, let's study this. Uh, Yeah, I'm pretty sure I haven't gone that long without a Snickers bar, much less my sleep. So, (laughs) all right, here's a fact. So in Finland, they celebrate National Sleepyhead Day on July 27th. It's a tradition that dates back to the Middle Ages, actually, and the idea is that the person sleeping the latest that day would be the least productive member of the family that year. So it was decided that whoever the last sleeper was would be woken up by throwing them into a lake or a sea or just by throwing water on them. And it's particularly great because the townsfolk will throw local politician into the water and everybody
3: just gets behind it. (laughs) I like it. Um, So, you know, Dr. Spock, the child psychologist? In one of his early books, he has this weird suggestion for making sure your toddler doesn't leave their crib. And basically, he advises getting a badminton net, cutting it in half sewing it so it's twice as tall, and then wrapping it around the crib to form a baby cage every night. (laughs) How crazy is that? Yeah,
2: the badminton net is the weirdest part. Like, why not a tennis net or 15 ping pong nets? I I don't know. All right, here's another one. You're less likely to have an accident in your car after daylight saving time ends, and evidence points to the extra hour of sleep as being the main reason.
3: When you're tired, your sense of smell shifts into high gear, but only for food. So, it's actually why you can't control yourself around midnight feasts late at night.
2: Oh, that's good. Alright. Alright, well people who grew up with color television tend to dream in color. But older people who grew up with black and white TVs and movies they actually are more likely to be dreaming in black and
3: white, <laughs> I'm guessing uh millennials dreaming gifts, yeah, exactly, <laughs> so want to know what sea otters do to prevent drifting away from each other when they go to sleep? What's that? They hold paws Aww. like sea otters actually hold hands when they go to sleep. Oh, come on, mango,
2: <laughs> you know I can't compete with a cute fact about sea otters, and you were just toying with me when you threw out that moderately interesting fact about badminton <laughs> but, <laughs> All right, I'll give it to you. You are this episode's winner of the Part-Time Genius Fact Off.
3: Thank you so much. I have so many people to thank. I want to start with my agent, Bobby Reynolds, my manager. Baby all Pendergast, right, Noel, can you guys, cue the music? Get him off the teachers, stage. Mom.
2: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Part-Time Genius with Will and Mango. Sweet dreams. Thanks again for listening to Part-Time Genius. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And because we're a brand new show, if you're feeling extra generous, we'd love it if you give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Part-Time Genius is produced by some of our favorite geniuses. It's edited by Tristan McNeil, theme song and audio mixing by Noel Brown. Our executive producer is Jerry Rowland. Our research team is Gabe Luzier, Lucas Adams, Autumn whitefield Madrano, Austin Thompson, and Meg Robbins. Jason Hoke is our chief cheerleader.